And so today what I want to be able to speak about is the kingdom under reconstruction. I wonder if there was anybody here back in September last year that was actually in Christchurch who felt the big earthquake. Was there anybody here at all? There was one per- oh, a few, a few people put their hands up. Now, can I ask you a question? That is, when you felt that earthquake, was there anything you could do just to forget about it? It didn't really happen? Or did you actually really feel that earthquake? You felt it. So you couldn't ignore it. It was there, wasn't it? <laughs> well, that's true, isn't it? God is shaking the church. No matter how you try to cover it up, it's not really happening. God is actually shaking the church. It's there. And so in September of last year, that uh, earthquake followed by I don't know how many hundreds of aftershocks have shaken that place, Christchurch. And uh, a lot of homes were damaged and some beyond repair and others were hardly touched. Ground was upheaval. There was all sorts of things that actually took place. Some is going to take, you know, years to actually repair. Some places hardly looked touched at all, but when you had a closer inspection on the place, you went inside, you'd see cracks along the ceiling and down the walls and, and even in the foundation areas. Now every house has to be assessed differently and every house has to be rebuilt and reconstructed carefully so that it, when other shaking comes, it will stand and not give way. You know, it would be inconceivable, wouldn't it, just to build over that, those cracks inconceivable just to, to try and just cover it up and pretend it didn't happen. Or inconceivable just to, you know, if you've got all this rubble everywhere, it's just build over the top of it. In actual fact, people have done that before. Has anyone seen of the ark? You know, Plymouth, uh, you know, Mr. Plymouth, or Plymouth Steps named after him? Because he had an ark uh, out in the harbour here where he'd, uh, they used to put animals onto the ship. And then uh, they used to use it for quarantine. But when the big earthquake came in 18, I think it was 1880s or whatever it was, it got squashed in there. So all they did was they built over the top. And when they were renovating the old BNZ centre, they discovered as they had to strengthen the foundations that the ship was there, or what was left of that ship. But it's inconceivable, isn't it, to try and build over the top of rubble. And yet in our walk with God, sometimes that's what we want God to do. We've got all sorts of stuff in our lives and all we want to do is try and cover it up. Oh, God just adds things to us. But he knows that if he adds it on top of us, we're not going to be able to stand under the weight because of the stuff underneath that's going to crumble and fall away. So God is trying to, you know, put it this way, is there is a shaking in the natural, so there is, God is shaking in the spiritual right now. And the God is shaking his church so that he can rebuild and reconstruct the very depths of our being, so that we can stand in the season to come without collapsing or cracking. Some things in our lives he's actually renovating or dismantling, sorry, removing or dismantling. Some things in our lives he's strengthening and reinforcing. And other things he's actually repairing and reshaping. You know, no two people are alike. We're all different. And there are things in our lives that he wants to strengthen, other things he wants to remove. And we've got to allow God access freely into our hearts and lives to be able to do that. Amen? So why is God doing this? Why can't he just simply leave us alone? (laughs) The answer is this. God is rebuilding his church the way he designed it to be. And you've heard about that. To reflect him and his glory, not us. But in order to do that, he has to re-engineer his body, his church, so that we reflect heaven down on earth. So that He is also building and raising up a people who can stand securely and able to carry the spiritual weight that's required. To be fully functional, manifesting his presence wherever we go. Isn't that awesome? Don't we want to do that? Or would we rather prefer to actually play church and just sit in, in pews? Or do we want to be part of what he's doing? I'll tell you this, I want to be part of what he wants to do. Amen. I want to show you something that uh, God showed me uh, on the, the Tower of Pisa. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It took about 100 years to build this jolly building, believe it or not. And uh, they, they, they started it. They discovered, well, when they started it, the ground was actually very unstable. In actual fact, it was quite swampy. But they decided to go ahead and build it anyway. The foundations of the building are actually only about three metres deep which is not actually that deep 
for, for the taller you go, you've got to have strong foundations. And if it is rocky or a swampy ground, you've actually got to go deeper. But they didn't. And so they started to lean quite noticeably when they got to the third story. At that point, the architect disappeared. He did a runner. <laughs> History says they don't know what happened to him. I wonder if he got paid beforehand. <laughs> I've known builders to do that. They run <laughs> when something goes wrong. But it's interesting, isn't it? Praise God. The architect of our lives, when we do a wobbly or when we suddenly go on a lean, he doesn't do a runner on us. Amen? Imagine if he did. <laughs> But he doesn't. He stays with us through thick and thin. The building was left for a long, long time. They didn't know what to do with it. They ummed and ahed and they thought, oh, should we, what should we do? At that particular point, they had an opportunity to actually dismantle the whole thing, go right back down to the foundation and redo the whole thing. But in actual fact, they decided not to. They decided to build on top of it. But to actually build on top of it, they decided to actually try and make some of the walls slightly higher and some of the walls slightly lower. And the whole thing is higgledy-piggledy right to the top. They, and they did it to, in order to compensate for the lean. In actual fact, it leaned even further. And they've got this sort of building that looks a little bit like this. But you know what they built? They built really one of the world's first dysfunctional buildings because they can't use it. They can't use it. But as man, is it a money spinner? The Italian authorities said if it ever falls down, they're going to rebuild the same thing because it earns so much money. And yet, we can laugh about it, but it's like the church, isn't it? The world looks at the church worldwide and it sees a dysfunctional building all over the place. They see some... Uh, fighting or some, some people going in all different directions, some fighting each other, some competing with each other, some falling apart, some disgracing themselves. And who does the church really reflect? And yet, it's like this in a body. And I was going to act it out, but I won't <laughs> today, just so I can stay on my feet. But it's like one foot wants to go in all different directions, while the other foot wants to remain exactly the same, almost refusing to move. It's like one hand keeping hitting the head all the time, while the other one is almost paralysed and can't move. You've got one eye that's sort of partially blind and one ear that can't really hear. You've got a spine that can't carry any weight and so the whole body is bent over. And yet we call that normal. We call it the church normal. God never designed the body to be functioning like that. God designed the body to actually flow and sync with each other, helping each other, working as a body, working in all this. It's incredible how God designed us to be. And we're all part of that building. Otherwise, we look something like what we've got up there. It's all over the place. But God wants his church back, doesn't he? To be fully functional, he designed it to be. Something powerful that will turn this world upside down and give him glory. At the moment, the world doesn't actually see a lot of difference between the church and the world. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be hugely different. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You know, if you want to know more about what God is doing in this move, the book of Ephesians is really that sums so much of it up. Ephesians 4, verse 17 says this, And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all, everybody say all. Everybody say all. That's better. All of us. All come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a what? A perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body 
for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot in that. And I don't have time to go into that today. But, you know, the whole body is fitted and working together. Every joint, every muscle, every part supplying the body to help the body grow into the fullness of Christ. Isn't it amazing? We're so used to one or two people trying to do it. But that's not the body. We are the church. Every one of us. There's quite a few other scriptures there, but I don't really have time to go through them. But just very quickly in in, um, Psalm 48, this is a a beautiful picture of the church. Verse 1, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Now look, beautiful in elevation is Mount Zion. Sorry, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. Now Mount Zion always speaks of the church. So you replace it. Is the church on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces and he is known as her refuge. So there's something different about the world and about the church. Because it reflects him, not us. For behold, kings assembled, they passed by together. They saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled and they hastened away. You know, there's something about when God takes hold of the body, his body, and you know, people start to allow him to reflect him through us, that the world begins to know and see. The book of Acts was an incredible book. In times of, of persecution, you know, persecution and Roman, uh, all sorts of things were going on. But the thing is that when the, birth, the church was birthed, people saw a huge difference between what the world did and what God did. And it was incredible. And it said in there in Acts um, 5.13, it said the people highly esteemed them because they knew that there was something different about those people. And that's what God designed the church to be. So what is the Lord reconstructing in our lives, I wonder? As living stones, what things need to be chipped away from our lives in order for us to work and fit together? Have you ever asked yourself that? What things am I prepared to lose in order to add or to fit together in the body? And what things do I need to grow in so that the whole body may benefit? Have you ever thought of that? You're part of a unique body that's to be fitted together and every single one of you have gifts that God has birthed within you to add to the body. We must take hold of those. So tonight, I want to go on further and I want to show you or unfold a story of some men in their journey. David and his uh, 600 men. Their lives were shaken, just like the Christchurch earthquake. Their lives were shaken in such an amazing way. And the shaking caused an unlocking of the things of God in their lives. And God wants, you know, if you're feeling that shaking going on, it's because God actually wants to unlock things that he has already placed within you that has been covered up with the rubble. And he wants to unlock it and bring it out of your lives. I hope you're ready and allow him to do that. It also helped them not to unlock, sorry, the shaking course and unlocking of the things of God within their lives that helped them advance the kingdom. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Let's just quickly go to um, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It's an incredible story. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and had burned it with fire and had taken it captive, the women and those who were with there, uh, who were with there. Uh, from the small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away, so they went their way. So David and his men came to the city and it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives had also been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself 
in the Lord his God. It's an interesting story, that one. You might say, well, how does this fit in? You'll see. You see, David, at that particular point in his time, was in a holding pattern. He was no longer being chased by Saul, and yet he was still considered an outlaw. He was, um, I suppose, working for a secular boss, and he was, had his faithful man, uh, uh, band of men with him, of 600 men, and of course his women and children and so forth. And so he had nothing really to do. So he went out on raids and he was pillaging. I mean, he, after all, he was a soldier. So he was doing what he was good at. But he was just doing it over and over again, trying to buy time, I suppose. And his destiny as king of Israel seemed somewhere out there, way in the distance, 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 distance. <laughs> Sorry, I should have cued that so that... <laughs> it was vague and dif- uh, distant. Yes, he and his men were in a holding pattern, waiting for something to happen. I wonder if you've ever been in a holding pattern. Because I'm sensing a lot of people in this church are in holding patterns right now, waiting for something to happen. And God is starting to shake your lives. And I'm sensing in the spirit that shaking taking place. And people are feeling, what's going on? You know? You're feeling uncomfortable. You're feeling all these different things. Man, I should be trying to get it and I don't quite understand, but you know, all sorts of things are happening and God is allowing that to happen around your life on purpose. As I said, he's unlocking things in your life. And often comes before change comes a deep sense of frustration or dissatisfaction for where you are at the moment. And that's a God thing because he's actually trying to lead you on. So David was bored. He was going through the motions day after day. But the problem is, you know, when you first become a Christian or, um, you know, when you're first learning something about the, the Holy Spirit and you, you have to really ask God for it, you have to cry out for God and he, he gives you the ability to do something, right? Well, you know, a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years on down the track, it's like second nature. You don't even have to think about it. And, you know, it's so easy to swap from the Spirit into the flesh. Because it's just, you're just doing it out of habit rather than doing it out of the spirit. And so there's a danger of what we've done for so long, we're now doing it in the flesh rather than the spirit. And God actually wants to break that off. Verse 1, uh, uh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 1 it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and burned it with fire. Ziglag, what does that represent? Well, Ziglag represents a place of personal strongholds, limitations and boundaries. I remember reading that years ago by Dr. Noel Woodroff. It's an incredible saying because it was a place, if you like, that they did things a certain way all the time. You know, he was limited in what he did. He just did it over and over and over again. And it can be like that in our lives. He didn't have to rely on God's strength for his own strength was sufficient at that time. And something uh, that you once rely on God, now comes second nature for you. And we get stuck in that pattern. So what are the ziglags around our lives? Have you ever thought about that? What are the patterns that we just fall into, that we just keep doing, doing and doing and doing, and we don't have to even rely on God anymore? What are those God wants to begin to point out? See, David and his men came to ziglag. It's interesting, I, I thought of this as I was reading it. They came to the end of themselves. Have you heard of that phrase? They came to the end of themselves. It's like they came to the ziglag. I wonder what ziglag you've come to the end of yourself of. In this case, your own personal strength and the things that seemed so certain were severely shaken. They came to ziglag in their own strength, but this time their own strength wasn't going to cut it for them. And their crutch had suddenly been taken away. What used to work couldn't work anymore. Have you ever been there? You try and you do something new and you try and step out and suddenly you feel burnt over it. And so you try and go back to what you used to do. And even that doesn't seem to work. I mean, even Peter tried doing that. And, you know, he went back to fishing and he still couldn't catch any fish. God doesn't want you to retreat. He wants you to go forward and learn new things. On the third day, now this is interesting, there's a whole lot of third days in the Bible. 
There's a lot of third days. If you read it, you can do a study on it. It's really amazing. But the third day always signifies new life. Jesus died on the first day. He rose again on the third day. Um, Noah, uh, sorry, um, not Noah, um, Jonah, he got swallowed by a whale. And on the third day, he got spat out again. Abraham and his son um, Isaac, he was told to sacrifice a son. And on the third day, a ram was provided. So it always had that. It always represents a new day, a new season. But hang on a minute. Don't you see the mistake here? Don't don't you see that there's something wrong in this passage? See, the third day actually got worse, not better. On the first day they had their so-called victory. On the third day they struck disaster. So does that mean God must have fallen asleep? And sort of, not, sort of nodded off and pushed the wrong button? Do you think that's what happened? Well, when we rely on our own strength, we expect God just to come through the way that he always does. In actual fact, God wants to do so much more than that. And it doesn't matter the order that he does it in. But God was doing something very significant here. And even though yet they couldn't see it, God was preparing them for the next level. This really was their third day. It was a new beginning. But they couldn't quite see it. Their so-called victory in the flesh, God was putting to death to enable them to rely upon him for the new, to enter into the new. And can I say this? Because I feel it in the spirit. This is our third day. There's been a shaking taking place. There's all sorts of unrest taking place and people are thinking, oh, what's going on? Some people may have left, some people doing this or that. But this is our third day. And I want you to be able to begin to see it because it's God doing it. And it's so exciting once you begin to see it and grasp hold of it. Because it's new and it's fresh. And we've never been this way before. You know, that's what uh, God told Joshua. Before they went into the promised land, he said, you've never been this way before. And it's the same for us. We haven't been this way before. It is new. So as God begins to work in our lives, totally revamp us, it's actually stepping out in faith like we've never done before. So I want to be encouraging to you. Learn to actually hold on and don't abort the process. But go through it. Embrace. Learn to embrace it. Now look, often when the children of Israel tried to enter into their inheritance, guess who turned up? If I had some music, I'd probably play, um, I don't know, Darth Vader music or something, or, or uh, <laughs> something, something for the atmosphere, you know. <laughs> the Amalekites. Ooh. I wonder who they were. Amalekites. What do they represent? It's interesting. They were the sins of Esau who sold his birthright because it had no value to him. He sold it to satisfy his flesh. Look at that. In Deuteronomy, Moses faced them in battle as well. And in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 and 18, it says, They attacked their rear ranks and picked off the stragglers and all who were tired and weary. Isn't that interesting? The children of Israel were on a journey into the promised land and they were attacked. But this time it wasn't a full frontal attack. They spied out the weaknesses of the camp to take out the weak and the vulnerable and certain key people. Listen to me. Church, it's a spirit that tries to invade by subtle ways, but the ultimate aim is always to take out the key leaders by undermining and killing the current move of God. I want to repeat that to you. It's a spirit that tries to invade by subtle ways, but the ultimate aim is always to take out the key leaders by undermining and killing the current move of God. You've got to watch these things. Do you feel undercurrent sometimes? Undercurrents that go on? Undercurrents that try to divide? Undercurrents that try to split? Undercurrents that try to cause disunity and, and do all sorts of different things? Do you feel that? I wonder where it comes from. Because we're about to enter into something new and into our inheritance and yet suddenly you get all this undercurrent going on. Where does it come from? I mean, it was an Amalekite that took Saul out. 
Now was an Amalekite that tried to take David out. But he couldn't touch David. So who did he go for? He went for his family and the families of his men. Church, I want to to bring something to your attention. I want to bring something to you. As we enter into this new move of God, there's new things in the weight of the Spirit. And what our leaders have to carry is huge. And as a church, we need to be praying for every single leader, but not just them, but for their families. Every single one of us. As a family, we need to be praying for each other. Exactly right. We need to. We need to. Absolutely. But not just one person. We need everybody to do it. Everybody. Everybody raised up in doing it. It's important. All their families are important to us. The Amalekites place no godly value on their inheritance. They come to kill, steal and destroy. The word invade in the Hebrew means to spread out, to deploy in a hostile array, to strip, to unclothe, to plunder, to fall upon, to invade, to pull off. Look at this. To spoil. He wants to spoil what God has for you. Are you going to allow him to do that? The Amalekite also means flesh or dweller in a valley. Esau sold his birthright to satisfy his flesh. How many times do we sell out on the things of God to satisfy our flesh? I mean, we've all done it before, eh? All of us have. Where we've allowed the flesh to rise up and to take over our emotions and talk us out of what God is wanting us to do. Instead of entering this thing of faith, we talk ourselves out and say, oh, we can't do that. You know, I I'm feeling tired now. I can't pray. I'm, I'm this or that. Yeah, we've got plenty of strength to turn the TV on. We've got plenty of strength to do this or, or do that. But when we're called to pray, oh, no, no, I'm just too busy. I mean, what is it? What is it when God calls you to fast and pray that we say, oh, I can't. I'm going to miss some food. You know, our, our body screams at us. And yet... We're spiritual beings. Our spirit to spirit, God connects with our spirit. It really depends on who we feed. Our flesh or our spirit man. And God actually wants to build something with up within you and awaken your spirit man so that it becomes alive in you and strengthen and power so that you're not talked out by your flesh. The flesh is just as active as the demonic realm and in fact it can open the doors for attacks from the enemy. And the flesh will oppose the things of God it desires to build. I mean, it talks about that. Uh, it's at war with the, with the spirit. So the question has to be asked, who's in control of your, of your life? Your flesh or your spirit? The Amalekite spirits feed on your fleshly emotions in order to make you sell out or rob you of your godly inheritance. Man, I want to enter into my inheritance. Ziglag, it says, was burned with fire. And fire always speaks about God's refining process. And you know, in order for us to build accurately, sometimes we have to go through that fire where God has to get rid of different things around our lives. But the thing is, we don't stay in the fire. We walk through, and we've heard that in a lot of sermons recently. You've got to learn to walk through the fire rather than stay there. Abraham's father failed to do that. He lost his son. He was actually called, not Abraham, he was called first of all to go into, the, um, into the, that promised land. But he lost a son and he lost his way. I remember Pastor Martin Steele talking about that. It was Abraham that picked it up and carried on. But don't you know, allow certain things to come in around your life and the hurts and the pain to take you out. Allow God to heal those and take you on. So what was burned? Firstly, the outward, the inward structures, and right down to the foundations. And this is really where I want to be able to, to unravel some things for you. And the thing is that I, I want you to understand one thing. I want you to understand that, you know, God is so very gracious when he works within our hearts and lives. I'm going to read out of various lists of, of things that God's laid on my heart. But the thing is that God doesn't show us a great big list and say, this is all wrong in your life, because often it will crush us. But ask the Holy Spirit as I, as I talk through them, what's one thing 
that the Lord wants to walk through you through with. Because there's a lot of different things over the years that God's walked me through. He hasn't given me a whole list. He's actually helped me with one thing at a time. And because of that, man, it strengthened my heart. In fact, I always remember I was a very, very fearful sort of person. And I had this boss that was really, uh, one person that was really very difficult to get on with. And I used to go to work and I was so fearful. And I used to sit in the mall before going to work and I had my Bible and I thought, God, I've got to defeat this thing. And so I opened it up into Timothy where it says, we've not been given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound, clear thinking mind. And so I opened the word and I began to pray that over my life. Because I knew it was an area of my life that I had to defeat. I had to get over this. And you know what? It didn't take one week. It didn't take two weeks. It took about six months of praying. Through that process, every day, I, at the beginning I was shaking almost. God, <laughs> by the end of it, you know, God did something very powerful in my heart. I no longer feared that woman. You know, years later I discovered... <laughs> it's true. Other people struggle to get on with this person. But years later when I was speaking with others, one particular person asked me, and said, I remember that. How did you ever cope with that person? She said, I just couldn't take it if it was me. But I saw you with such peace. What was that peace? That was years later. I didn't even know it had that effect on others. But people are watching you. In fact, that person came to me later on and asked for prayer because she was going through a very difficult time. So it's amazing what happens when God completely turns it around. So the process of what God wants to do in your life, never give up on it. And it may not be clicking your fingers and it all come right, but one thing he may just take from you and he may walk you through it. My children, are you willing to take hold of my hand and walk through with me and I'll help you? Because often we can't change it in our own strength and we don't want to. It has to be a God thing. So what was burned? It was the outward structures, the internal structures right down to the foundation. Let's look at the outward structures. In past moves, uh, past moves have focused on the external, making it look good so that it looks good from the outside. As long as you look good on the outside, church, you'll be fine. So people can come in and see you going happy chappy and all that sort of thing. But really on the inside, sometimes we're, we're really screaming or you're, we're, we're going through difficulties. or we, we, like that. Never be afraid to ask for help. Learn to hold things, you know, help give things over. Because we're very good at building facades, aren't we, church? <laughs> God wants to remove those things. Don't try and copy others. You know, sometimes we try and copy. You know, the youth might try and look at... Um, uh, some of the youth leaders here and say, oh, I'm going to try and copy them. You know? And so they do the, act the same way and they fold their hands the same way. They might try and speak the same way. They might try and dress the same way. They might try and uh, do the same slant as what they do. <laughs> Kirk, you'll be watching them very carefully, <laughs> what they do. But it's true, isn't it? We try and copy them because we think, wow, isn't that neat? But God's made you very unique. And God wants your uniqueness to be part of this body. So that everybody adds the flavour and the, the, the something about the uniqueness of you that no one else has. And that's what he wants to bring. Then hearts. Going through the motions but your heart's not really there. I'm lifting up my hands. Oh, I wonder what's for dinner tonight. Oh, the cafe smells really, really nice. Do you remember when Clay did that uh, morning sermon with, um, with that breakfast? Oh, man. Uh, the only disappointing thing with that, Clay, was that you didn't do it for everybody. We could have all have been eating at the same time. It would have been really, really good. <laughs> but, you know, we do. We get distracted. You know, are people looking at me? Am I just going through the motions? What's on TV tonight? Man, I could be at home. Oh, I haven't done this. Did I put the cat out? You know, all these different things. You know, but our heart's not really engaging with God because it's all an outward thing. We're all knowledge, but no action. And that's killing the church today. There's nothing wrong with knowledge if it's outworked in your life, but if it's just head knowledge, then there is a problem. It's got to be in the heart. 
a reliance on other people's revelation for spiritual food. I mean, you don't have to dig it out yourself. You can just read somebody else's. Now, there's nothing wrong with devotions. But man, if you dig it out for yourself, boy, what a difference it makes because suddenly you have been spoken to by God. And suddenly you're getting the word and God spoke to me. And then you share it with someone else and they think, wow, if they can, God can speak to them, what about me? And so forth. Then there's a, a um, pride. Well, I've been a Christian for a long time. You know, you can't tell me what to do or you can't tell me. I, I know it all. Now, I've been a Christian, um, I suppose, going on for 30 years now. But it's really only been the last five years or seven years that's made a big difference in my life. I mean, I had a huge impact when I, I encountered God when I was 19 years of age. It turned my life upside down. And I did things in between, but it was really only the last five to seven years that things have started to change within my life. And I had to almost go back to say, God, redo a new thing in my heart and life. Because I realized, you know, sometimes we can get stuffy. Sometimes we can get crusted and, and all sorts of things with the old ideas and all sorts of things and don't move. And I've done it before. I've looked down on these young Christians. Oh, you know, the enthusiasm will go soon. You know? You know. We've all done it, if we're honest, right? But God wants to get rid of that. My ministry, as I said in my last sermon, it doesn't belong to you. And sometimes we've relied on other ministries. We've relied on the famous evangelist to come in and so that we bring all, you know, the lost get saved by that one person. Sometimes we've relied on a famous teacher or on a famous um, uh, prophet or a famous this or that. But in actual fact, out here in the church, God has enabled you to do it. This is not the season for uh, you know, famous people from overseas to be doing things. In fact, God's already raised you up to do it. And we're hearing about miracles. We're hearing about uh, prophecy that people are prophesying. We're hearing about the people being delivered and healed. We're hearing about all these different things amongst this body. Because God is activating something. And this is only the beginning. <coughs> but so far, you know, in the past, it was an external thing. We didn't have to worry about it. We could just sit back. Oh, occasionally we could invite a friend, you know, if we're right. <laughs> Anyway, that's the outward. But on, on a building, if the external structures are not built properly, or if you've used the wrong or weak material, it can cause what we know as leaky home syndrome. Who's ever had that leaky home syndrome? Oh, there's one over there. <laughs> it's not so good, is it, when you've got a leaky home? The water and the moisture gets deep within the internal structures and begins to rot and destroy the supporting timbers over a period of time. That's no joke when you've got a house like that. So what are the internal structures? It's the supporting beams or the studs. If these things are built accurately, sorry, if these things aren't built accurately, the building can become misshapen or cause a lean or worse, uh, um, cause a collapse or the roof to collapse because it can't carry the weight. What internal structures in our lives are God wanting to pinpoint? What's one thing that God wants to pinpoint in your life? Maybe it's the soul realm versus the spiritual realm. You know, you can't build a spiritual house using your flesh, using soul muscle. You can't do it. It has to come from the spirit. And we're, spiritual we're a spiritual building. I'm a spiritual building, and you are too. It could be a lack of sight or lack of intimacy. I can't hear God anymore. God seems so distant. But you know what? Didn't God send his son, Jesus, to break down that barrier so that we didn't have a barrier there? So why is there a distance? Have you ever thought about that? It may be because there is sin blocking your life. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Often it's us putting the barriers up. God, I can't feel you. I'm keeping you at a distance because I don't really want you to touch my life. It could be that. It may not be. But you end up being, um, you know, God wants to break down the barriers instead of us building them up. And barriers, sometimes we construct things in their inner life to keep God out, as I said. Have you ever heard of inner vows? 
You know what an inner vow is? It's where that we say something or speak it out and it, it affects our lives and we don't even know it sometimes. Where it says, for instance, I'll never trust another man or woman again because they got hurt over something. And yet later on they might marry uh, either a wife or a husband like that. They marry, but somehow there's always this gap between their relationship and they don't know why. It's because there's an internal vow there that has to be broken off their life. They've been hurt by maybe a minister who's, who's committed adultery and, or something like that and the church is split apart. So they have this thing here and it says, I will never trust another church. And so always their view on the church life is always disorientated or, or blurred or, or, you know, there's something blocking their actual view. It's because there's an inner vow in here. And actually God wants us to repent of those things and heal us of those things to help us to walk forward. And sometimes it's, it can be hard letting go of those things, but God is so merciful and loving in those areas and he wants to help. It can be fear. It can be stubbornness. It can be uh, guilt. It can be all sorts of things. Have you ever read um, Pastor Martin's book, Shame Off You? It is a fantastic book. I really recommend it. Because how many of us here struggle with shame? And guilt. Honestly, only a couple. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of us do. Amen? And what does Satan often point out to us when we go through struggles? Shame and guilt and all those things. Yet they've been dealt with on the cross, so why do we keep coming back to them? It's an incredible book. It really is. And it's there to help. It's an internal thing that really shapes our lives. There are hidden motives. You remember Simon the sorcerer? He became a Christian. Wow, that was great. And he was all on for everything. And when uh, Peter came and, and John, they were laying hands on people and they were being filled with the Spirit of God. And suddenly he's thinking, I want that. I want that. I wonder how much I can pay for that. Why did he say that? Because he wanted to be noticed by other people. His internal hidden motives was, I want everybody to notice me and my ministry. And Peter said to him, your motives are wrong. Your heart's full of evil. You had to repent that guy. Or attitudes, because a lot of things come from the heart that need to be put right. Amen? So these are some of the internal things. But God always works from the inside out, and the world always works from the outside in. But God wants to transform us and morph us into Christ. There were also foundations very quickly. The structures upon which we built, uh, a building is built. That's what foundations are. If they're not constructed ac uh, accurately, it can cause uh, subsidence or collapse of the entire building. So what are some of the foundations that could be wrong in our lives? Well, wrong doctrine can hinder us. And sometimes we can build doctrine around our lives. You know what a doctrine is? It's where we make a statement, basically. It's almost like an interval, but it's not. It's where we build this thing up around our hurts. And like, you know, when people get hurt when they, um, for instance, with, with money, and so they build this doctrine about, well, I, I'm not going to give because the church has hurt me or something like this. You see, that becomes like a doctrine in their life. There's all sorts of different things. It becomes, um, Peter had wrong doctrine too. Remember what he had? He, he, he had a thing about uh, Jews and Gentiles, but God had to challenge him over that foundation thing within his life. There's all sorts of different things there that God challenges us. In fact, can I dare to say it? But, you know, in the past, teachers and uh, pastors have set doctrines. But really, when you look at the word, it's always prophets and apostles. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the doctrines of the apostles and the prophets. They really set the foundations. Anyway, old ways, being inflexible, can be a foundation in your life. But we've always done it this way before. There could be shady areas, no absolutes. When you walk in shady areas, you know, there's no difference between really right or wrong. We end up weaving this path. There can be what we default to is really what's and the underlining factor. When you go through a shaking, when you go through things, what's the first thing you default to? Because that will actually 
reveal what's hidden underneath there. There can be a lack of use of foundations. You know, if you don't use them, they can crumble. Just like a road. If you have a road and nobody uses it, or a footpath, lichen grows on it and moss and all sorts of things, and it actually breaks down the concrete. So maybe it's a lack of use, of using what God has given you. Or it can be built on a person's ministry or an idol. A per- sorry, a person's ministry or a person. You know, we were so good at that. Wow, look at that. That person there. And so they become something to you. But if that person never fell, what would happen to you? And so often we've seen so many Christians hurt because a, a minister has fallen and suddenly their whole world falls apart. And yet, where's the foundation? Because Christ is our foundation. Not a man. Not a ministry. Amen? And God is wanting to make sure our foundations are secure and well built so that he can construct his kingdom within us. So what was burnt? The external, the internal and foundations. There's also frames and gates. Frames, this is an interesting one. I wonder what frames your world. Hebrews uh, 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. I wonder if the word of God frames your life. Have you thought about that? Or does circumstances frame your life? Or maybe emotions frame your life? Or maybe the past frames your life? That's really what we default to. But actually, in fact, it should be the Word of God framing our lives right the way through. Is the Word of God your found, one of your foundations in you? Because it should be. Amen? So God's removing the old structures and the, it props up the supports and that, that support us that we may rely on afresh on Him, not on ourselves. Church, it's time to declutter. It's time to allow the bulldozers in sometimes to take out the, the clutter and allow God to work in us so that we can get rebuilt properly. You know, there's some amazing things at the moment. God's working on me on at the moment. In fact, Sandra and I are, are working through a few things. That, uh, you know how you come around the mountain and, you, and you, you think you've sorted it out and suddenly things happen and suddenly you're back to square one and you think, oh, God. And you try and build over the top of it or cover it up. You ever been there? That's what we try to do sometimes. And yet God has this habit of bringing you back around again. And God's saying, hey, you prepared to take my hand and trust me in this? You know, sometimes we allow fear and all sorts of things to overtake. And yet God wants us to, to move on thing, through things. You know, it's happening to much as me. Is there anyone here in this room? And God wants you to take hold of his hand and walk through it. But not everything was burnt. Did you notice that? Not everything was burnt. The things that had value had been removed and later restored to them. Isn't that amazing? Not everything God has to dismantle in our lives. Okay? There's an area here and an area there that God may be working on. But there are some good things in our lives already there, gems that God is bringing out and shining. But we have a situation here. Their homes were destroyed and their families were carried off. This was, you know, their strength wasn't good enough anymore. To the natural eye, it all seemed that they'd lost everything and their worlds were shattered. How could God allow this to happen? So often, we're more concerned about what we may lose rather than what we may gain. We look at all the stuff we're going to lose and we think, oh God! And yet our focus is on the wrong thing about what's God bringing out in us that's new and fresh and wonderful. And yet we focus so much on on the old. It's like the pearl of great price. So we too from here in some ways, this was a crossroad for them. You see, it's so easy when there's a shaking taking place to blame someone else. When there's a shaking taking place and you're now out of your comfort zone and you're feeling a little bit wobbly and suddenly you're thinking, well, it's the pastor's fault. 
It's this fault, or it's that person's fault, or it's the leader's fault. It's this or that. It could be the cat's fault. It could be anybody's fault. It's my wife's fault or my children's fault. It could be anything. And suddenly you're blaming everybody else. And yet God wants you to have a look down here and say, well, what's things that I have to change? Because sometimes we fail to see what God is doing. We need to ask wisdom. So, remember how they, um, David came to the city and it was burned with fire? And the people have been taken captive. You know, this is something, can I say, can I speak to you men about one thing? They were taken captive. To be carried, it means to be carried away or led away. You see, men, while you are in a holding position, while you're moving in your own strength, doing your own thing, there is a danger of your families being enticed or carried away spiritually. Men, why is it that when something is moving, it's always the woman that puts up their hands? They're the best prayers. They're the best ones that go on the door and do things and around the place. They're eager to get involved because in their hearts... They often have this thing within them that actually gets very sensitive to things of God and they want to move out. Well, us men sort of sit back and take it easy. Oh, my wife's doing it. That's fine. Let her do it. She's doing it all for us all. But meanwhile, you're sitting back and doing your own thing. They can get carried away and enticed away. Men, it begins with you and your families for you to begin to step up and to rise up and to fill the gap it's time to become head of your homes you know what a head of the home actually means it means to become a life source it doesn't talk about a dictatorship it means to become a life source to your family are you the one uh, praying for them are you the one interceding for your sons and daughters are you the one praying for your marriage are you the one seeking God and the word men it's time to rise up. David and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. I'm just going to go through this very quickly. You know, what he did was he allowed the men to grieve. And sometimes when there is a shaking, sometimes there is a losing of this and a losing that, sometimes we need to grieve. You know, when we see people leave sometimes or when we see this or that happen, there can be, it's like a wrenching in the body. But can I say this? Learn to ask, learn to allow God to be the strength of your life. Because when shaking comes, you've suddenly got a strong platform to hold on to. Church, I know what it's like to be shaken. I know what it's like. I've known grief in my life. I remember, uh, you know, we had, I lost nine members of my family, and I think it was in about four years or five years. I forget exactly how many years. I lost nine members of my family. My father died suddenly. Now, I know what it's like to lose a father. I know what it's like to lose a son. I know what it's like to, uh, to have your job suddenly, um, what do they call it, disestablished. I know what it's like to have the, the odd health problems, although I've been pretty good recently, but um, occasional things come up. I know what it's like to live through church splits. That can be very damaging. I know what it's like to go through different things in my life, but you know what? I've known that God has been the strength there. So that when the shakings come, you know, God's been so gracious to help me walk through it and not end up bitter and twisted at the end of it. So don't abort the process. Keep on going through it very quickly. So far, David and his men were in a holding position. They, they've, um, they've lived in the place of their own strength. The Amalekites have attacked and taken off their women and children. Their homes have been destroyed. The old structure's gone. And everybody wants to blame somebody. And now they're going to blame the head man. And you thought, you had a bad day? <laughs> it's sort of like that, you know, that program 24. Beep, 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 beep. It all happened in a short pound, you know, time. So how did David rebuild? Just very quickly, no, I, because I know time's gone. But how did they build? It really depends on where your focus is. You see, David picked up the undercurrent. 
He picks up the undercurrent of anger and frustration. And even those most loyal spoke of stoning him and they became very embittered. But David, uh, the temptation for David was to make some quick rash decision just to justify or satisfy the people, to become popular again. And he actually did something that caused advancement both to him and his men, not disaster. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And that is the key more than anything. What does that mean? Notice he didn't strengthen the people. He didn't go out and try and win votes. Hi, everybody, please vote for me. As the guy over in uh, Egypt is trying to do at the moment in other countries. He didn't try to give a motivational speech. And it's so easy to try and give out of our own strength. But David knew he had nothing in the natural to give. He had nothing left. So David's default system right throughout his life was to connect with God, the source of all strength and wisdom. And you always discover your default system when the pressure comes on. And that's what he wanted to do. And what we do first alters everything in our lives. What do you do first? What do you do first? Look at this. He strengthened himself in the Lord. This was uh, active, not passive. Does that mean I've got to strive harder? Does it mean I've got to work harder, pray longer? You know, in actual fact, it's not about doing, it's about being. It's not about, God, I've got, to, I've got to pray harder. I've got to read more words. I've got, to, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's actually just coming before God and waiting before him. Waiting before him. As I approach towards the end, I wonder if the musicians could come up. Thanks. It's not about doing. It's about being. Religion will always get you to do more, but in fact, Jesus has already done it for you. I love 73, Psalm 73. It said, you know, I was like a brute beast before you. I couldn't understand. I couldn't work the whole thing out until I came into the presence of God and then I understood. Isn't it amazing? So it's when you come into the presence of God. It's when you just actually relax. It's when you just draw upon Him and wait upon Him. You know, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know that word wait means? It means in the Hebrew to entwine or bind themselves in God. It doesn't mean striving. It means to entwine. God, I love you. I just want you to come around my life. Notice David didn't even seek God to say, I want this, I need an answer for this, I need an answer for that, I need this, I need this, I need that. He simply said, God, I want you. And that's strengthening yourself in the Lord and waiting before God, waiting for him. He didn't allow his flesh to rule and win the day. His spirit man became alive. Because of that, he was positioned accurately to hear from God so that he could ask about the situation. And God gave him the download he needed that was accurate. And then, of course, he knew that all the weight of heaven was behind him and the resources of heaven to actually do the job. And they got everybody back. Isn't that amazing? They got everything back. They recovered it. There's there's something about the countenance of a person who spends quality time with God. They don't have to try and drum everything up or anything. It's just what they carry. You know, when you wait upon God and God re-engineers you and rebuilds you from the inside out, there's something about your presence that you carry into a dying world that has no life, that is, thinks it has everything, but is lacking everything. But you carry that within you. You carry the kingdom. And it's something that is not forced. It's something that lives within you. It's Jesus Christ, the kingdom. Very, very powerful. And David's faith, when he went to stand before his men, was transferable. And what you have in you is transferable to others, even non-Christians, when they pick that up. Of course, when they came back, Ziglag was gone. There was nothing left to come back to. I want to challenge you today. You know, 
Don't come back to you, the old things. It's gone. We've got to move forward. Isn't it amazing they went from Ziglag, the place that God was trying to get them out of, their own strength, to a place called Hebron, which means a place of covenant, a place of closer relationships. You see what God's trying to do with us right now? Build us as a family and relationships. But that wasn't the place that they were to finish up either. God had Jerusalem as well to go. But every place was important along the process and along the way. So God has been shaking your world. Praise God he is. Because he's doing something magnificent within. You know, that's all I really want to say. But I really feel tonight that as we come, just to be able to entwine yourself in God, to be able to enjoy him, because it's not the striving. It's allowing God to rebuild and re-engineer your life. But one thing I do want us to do as well, I said I'd like the, the leaders just to, if you're a leader in this church, just to stand up for a moment. And if you're also part of a family with them, I want you to stand up as well because you're very, very important as part of that. And we need to pray for these ones. I wonder if the church is where the music is playing. I wonder if we can gather around some of them and begin to pray for them. Because it's so important that we uphold our leaders in prayer, particularly at this time. We're entering into an apostolic and prophetic uh, time where the fivefold ministry is activated. There's a lot more pressures on their shoulders. We've never been this way before. Let's stand, everybody. Let's come out of your seats and begin to pray for each other. Let's gather around them. Thank you. Let's just for just for a couple of minutes just pray. Come on, come out of your seats, guys.